0: Hey Bob, it's Jimmy, I'm just driving home, what time is it? It's, so, my good friend Jimmy sent me a voice message on WhatsApp this week. Jesus. I look forward to getting in the van and driving back, because I'd plug in the headphones and and I'm continuing to listen to your podcast. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? But he's not just here, so I can blow smoke up my own ass. There is a point to playing this. But, and I hope this comes out in the podcast, in the series, who is Bob Graham? Why is this? whole thing about him. Did he invent it? Uh, was he? I'm guessing, I'm assuming he, oh, hang on, I need to change gear uh, in an old van. Oh, God, any gear will do. Let's hope it's this one. Jimmy is an old friend and a podcast lover, gear two, which is why he's listening. Three. But he's not a runner. Anyway, yeah, Bob Graham. Uh, I want to find out who the dude is. And He's certainly not an off-road mountain running uh, so expert. So I hope it all comes out very soon. Anyway, I better go because I'm now getting flashed because I think I've just caught someone up Speeches speak to you soon. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Over an And it only dawned on me, once I'd listened to his message, that not everyone listening to the podcast will be familiar with Bob Graham's story. So here's some background on the origins of the round and on Bob himself. Rounds, that is walking or running a circuit of hills in a given time, have been around forever. The UK's peaks and valleys form nice horseshoes and long, attractive ridges, so certain routes just look right. And before vehicular transport, you had to finish back where you started because there was no other way to get home. So a circular round made sense when you got around to it. On the 13th day of June 1932, a new 24-hour Lake District fell record of 42 summits Was established by 43 year old Robert Graham of Keswick, a local guest house proprietor and Lake District guide. The guide was someone with great fell knowledge who would show wealthy types around the hills for money. He traversed the summits of Skiddaw, Great Calver, and Blencathra to Threlkeld, the Dodds, Helvellyn Range, and Fairfield to Dunmail, the Langdale Fells to Rossett, Bowfell and the Scarfell Group to Wasdale, the Mosedale Horseshoe, the Gables, Brandreth, and Grey Knots to Honister Horse, the Buttermere Fell to Newlands via Snabside to his starting point, the Moot Hall at Keswick. He was dressed in shorts, shirt and rubber blimpsoles. Food consisted of bread and butter, lightly boiled eggs, biscuits and sweets. The total time for the long walk, including 30-minute stops at Dunmail, Rays and Wasdale, with a 15-minute stop at Honister Hawes, was 23 hours, 39 minutes, a record which was to stand for 28 years. Heavy rain and a thunderstorm were encountered en route. That account hangs on the wall today in the Derwentwater Independent Hostel, which Robert Graham, a.k.a. Bob, managed. Written by Fred Rogerson, the founder of the Bob Graham Club. He started it once a few people had actually become eligible to join. You see, Bob Graham's 24 hour fell record of 42 peaks, set on his 42nd birthday, I believe, was not equaled until 1960.
1: All over.
0: When Alan Heaton ran over the same 42 summits in 22 hours and 18 minutes, breaking Bob's record by over an hour. Just a handful more people managed it over the next decade. So, in January 1971, a reunion dinner. Of all eight of these lean machines was held at the old Dungeon Gill Hotel in Langdale.
2: She's my woman of gold, she's not old, uh-huh.
0: Fred proposed the formation of a Bob Graham club, membership limited to those who had completed the 42 peak round in 24 hours. Fred himself took up the invitation to be chairman of the new club. The Bob Graham Club's stated role is to promote safe long-distance traverses of the fells and its main activity is the administration of the round. Applicants must register with the Membership Secretary before an attempt and must be accompanied at every summit for verification purposes. It's one of the traditions of the club that existing members will assist their aspiring colleagues by pacing their attempts. Well, she's faster than
1: most and she lives on the coast of-
0: Over time, through word of mouth around the northern running circuit, more people join the club. By 1998, Fred retires after an amazing 27-year stint as chairman. Membership has now grown from the eight at the beginning to over 1,000. The club reunion dinner and dance is now held every 2nd October at the Shapwells Wells Hotel. This is an occasion for new members to receive their certificates and for existing members to relive former glories. Now 22 years further on in
1: 2020,
0: membership is over 2,000 including our friends Tim and Tano, and everyone's friend, Killian Jornay. So, there you go Jimmy, now you know. For a deeper dive, read Feet in the Clouds, after listening to the author Richard Asquith. Coming up in episode 10. 22 years ago today, Nebworth, I was there. 22 years and one week ago, Locke Lomond, Bob and I were there. Magical. Mark would have been playing with a spreadsheet somewhere. Winking face. As Mike well knows, I was at V97,
2: hanging out backstage with Menswear and Supergrass. Having seen Oasis at the Duchess in 1994 I thought they were pretty good, but went off them as their boorish, pseudo-hard lad. Music by Numbers was the soundtrack for A Nero which promised so much, and delivered nothing.
0: Reason number 3,721 why he is team leader. Hi, and welcome to our podcast about the Bob Graham round. A 66-ish mile run in the Lake District up and over 42 of England's tallest mountains in under 24 hours. Recorded throughout 2018 and 2019, this is an audio account of a year preparing for and attempting the BGR. These are our Bob Graham sounds. February and March 2019 were the lowest part of my Bob Graham year. My folders of audio for those months are nearly bare, so I started digging around to work out why. Looking back at the family Google calendar, February 1st my wife and I go to a Frank Turner gig in Bournemouth, bitterly cold and snowing. A couple of days later, February the 3rd, I tap out a despairingly brief message to Helen Hall, biomechanics analyst, posture expert, my guru in trying to get me fit for the Bob Graham. Ran this morning. Was going well, I thought, but less than a mile, and my right calf went. Sharp, sudden pain. So walked home, limping now. We'll wait a couple of days before trying again. Helen replied, wanting to know more. (gasps) Went? Sharp, sudden pain? Is this out of the blue? Is there any visible bruising? Where in your calf? Can you, holding on to something, lift your heels off the ground? Later that day, I write back. (gasps) I'd walked a good long warm-up, then run and walked every ten paces for a mile or so when I got a sharp, painful spasm in the lower part of my right calf, below the bulge of the larger muscle, but well above the Achilles. I walked home, with a couple of run attempts which were doable but sore, so I mostly walked. I can lift heels off the ground, together and on their own. Not serious, I don't think, but noticeable when walking. No bruising. Helen straight back onto me. The fact you can do a single leg calf raise means you have not torn anything muscular. Strained, yes, but torn, no. Cycling is your friend. Mobilise without weight-bearing stress. Don't run until you can jiggle on the spot for two minutes without pain.
1: Jiggling the nerve chassis. So we're going to jump up and down the spot. Your feet leave the floor, but only just everything is relaxed enough for lungs to emit a soft <laughs> noise through a swine. a
0: week later i messaged helen again did hill reps walking up and jogging down went well no calf issues nicer to jog on rough soft terrain helen replies oh wonderful to read bob 16th of february another week later hi helen my legs are feeling good Tired from hard work, but not damaged. Cycled a full week, plus did another hill rep walk-up run-down session last night. And this checks out with my own family Google calendar. It says on Friday, February 15th, Dad butts a hill run, brackets early evening. Now this being February, I remember, it was in the dark, I was completely alone, it's right next to the A3, it's eerie, a strange way to spend your Friday night, but running does drive you to these odd lengths sometimes, doesn't it? And it gave me the chance to test my new Christmas head torch, which was good, and because no one else was around, I didn't pay for the car park. The next day, which was that Saturday the 16th, I had a speed awareness course in Salisbury. It came from that speeding ticket I got in Horton and Ribblesdale. Remember on my trip up to Yorkshire back in November in episode 5? Then several long dull days training to be a super user on some new software that we were having installed at work. All day the following Saturday, in work again, bestowing my super user wisdom on my standard level user colleagues. All Sunday, emptying our beach hut. Remember the one I visited in episode one?
1: I'm at our beach hut.
0: Not worth the thousand pounds a year rent we've decided. My wife went to a conference in New Orleans for work, so a lot of life juggling. It's hard to run when other half's away.
1: Okay, I want you to just be able to listen to two options, and as you listen, you will know which one feels as if it resonates most strongly the first on march the fourth
0: i get this nice voice message from helen uh, now i reply the next day but only in text not voice and this is classic me when i'm feeling down i'm a bit terse not quite passive aggressive but certainly a little bit frosty hi thanks for the message i've not really run much finding motivation hard at the moment. Bike riding okay though, and Achilles seems happy. Now, to give her credit, Helen tries her best. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, you need a run with me! Four exclamation marks. Is it life or injury boredom? Next message. (laughs) We need to put the fun in run. Your smile when you ran pain-free lit up the sky. Next message. (laughs) I feel as if I need to race down to Portsmouth to rescue you. I reply, two hours after her initial message... (laughs) I'm fine, it's just hard to find the time. I'll get back into it soon. Helen's back again. Ah, time. That thing that keeps slipping away. I'm mates with Saturn, the keeper of time. I'll have a word, slow some down for you. Little praying emoji, a running horse, a smile. Me, half an hour later. Thank you. And then I go totally dark, incommunicado for four weeks. Until, on the 28th of March... Message from Helen. Hello! Lots of O's, two exclamation marks. I hope you're enjoying the newness of spring. I'm thinking of you. Hi, Helen. Thanks very much for your message. Hello back. Uh, I'm all right, thank you. Apologies for not being in touch, really. Uh, I had a bit of low mental health... Spell, and uh, the first thing that goes when I feel low is um, communication. I kind of isolate myself, so I haven't really been in touch uh, with anyone. But um, so apologies for that. Uh, but I'm feeling better and also fit. And healthy.
1: Hi, Bob. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe uh, where the time goes. And I am totally with you. Uh, when I am low, I I hide myself away. Nobody hears from me. Um, so
0: I, I include all, all this, this because, road, and one, it happened. Lifts go down as well as up. And I don't want to make a Disney story of our BGR attempt that isn't honest. Two, doing the BGR, wanting to do it, committing to my friends that I was going to do it, the pressure to live up to that commitment brought some of this gloom, this poor mental health, this depression on. When you take on big things, it can put you through the ringer. So I just wanted to communicate that really. I wanted you to know. But with the onset of spring, the darkness and my spirits lifted and the slow crawl towards running fitness began.
1: Uh, with 18 days to go to get round the round and um, running for the first time in a long time. But well, I've got a hill. I can run up it, I can run down it and bathing in the sunshine, drowning out the sound of the motorway if I can. I can look across Portsmouth Harbour and it's, it's all right. It's all right.
0: More of the springtime 2019 running pursuits of me and the team in a mo. But first, a little rewind to my winter's afternoon conversation with Duncan Craig, recorded on a nice sofa in a chic coffee area on the fifth floor of the News UK building, home of the Times and the Sunday Times, for which Duncan is the travel editor. As I looked out of the window across the capital city, you can't miss the shard next door, which towered above us, a bit like Skidder looms over Keswick. Well, kind of. Right, I'm going to say hello to Duncan Craig, travel editor at the Sunday Times. That's correct. And regular contributor to Runners World magazine. And that's where I have spotted you because we sort of have a connection uh, to our running team who are doing the Bob Graham this time because you were at university with my best mate from school, Beanie. That's right, yeah. Nick, uh, who... um, I then sent uh, a copy of um, an article in the runner's world saying, is this your mate from university? Some years ago, and it turns out it was, uh, and I remembered that name. And that article was about you doing the Bob Graham, so here we are. Yeah, no, exactly. That was actually
2: by my good friend, Charlie Norton, who I ran it with and trained with. Um, But yes, it was
0: very much about our attempt. So when you knew Beanie at university 20 years ago, he was playing football then and is now a fully kind of paid up middle-aged man in lycra running on the hills Uh, you know he loves all of that stuff were you a running person
2: at that point? Um, Fairly similar trajectory I would say I I certainly wasn't anything close to beanie in football terms Uh, I liked my rugby and I used to run really to keep fit more than anything Uh, it was only I think as is a common story probably into my late 20s early 30s where I started to see
0: the potential for doing Uh, a lot more with the running. And when did you get to sort of write about running and think, oh, there's, there's something in this to go along with my job? Yeah,
2: I think as a journalist, I've always written about what I've done. So whether that's been traveling really from, you know, obviously almost the early 20s, I'd say. What I've been doing is traveling and also working as a sort of fitness and adventure and health journalist as well. So all of those things, my interests, neatly dovetail with what I'm doing for work. So I've really been writing about running and travel for
0: probably 20 years in total sounds like the dream job i think at the bbc you know the holiday program presenter is the best gig is travel editor sunday times uh, similar i think there are probably people who would say that yes i mean
2: like any job you know the ups and downs but uh, i certainly can't complain
0: Mm. and where have you run where's the best places that you've been in the world running i think
2: uh, the sahara would be an obvious one i did the marathon de sabla back in 2007 i think Mm. when it was already a big thing then Mm. It's, it's been come increasingly so Um, that was uh, a hell of a destination to be running in for uh, a certain number of days as well you know essentially embedding yourself in the Sahara for almost a week and running prodigious distances Uh, that's something I won't ever uh, forget I've run in the Arctic um, I went up there, I was doing a, a travel piece for the Sunday Times there a few years ago, and that was actually on ice running, as it was called, with specially adapted shoes. Um, and probably, to be fair, I've run almost everywhere that I've traveled to. Mm. I, f- I find it a wonderful way to get under the skin of a destination, um, and whether that's running up and down a beach or around a town, getting up early. I was in Florence quite recently, set my alarm, I was out at six, and by the time I get back at eight, 8.30, I feel like I I know the city I know my way around it yeah
0: and what stage of running are you at now do you train for things are you still entering races or is it just like you say a sort of keep fit explore good for the mind Yes, it's it's a tricky one. I think
2: probably it started to taper off a little bit. Uh, I've passed forty now. Uh, I'm in my early forties, but my wife would would say um, there's certain relapses that, that keep happening. Only last year I I went and ran a very niche event in Switzerland, which is the longest staircase in the world. Yeah, seems to remember eleven thousand, nearly twelve thousand steps, significantly higher and longer than any stair race in the world. And I've done a fair amount of stair stair racing as well. So so, for someone who is nominally retired, that was uh, that was clearly a, a bit of a relapse there. But yes, I'm not doing as many as
0: I was. For a while, I had a big event every year without fail. Right. So, w- how did the BGR come into your thing? So, this is going back about five years, isn't it? Uh, it's going back to 2013 right. that Charlie and I made our attempt.
2: Um, it, w- we sort of goaded each other. We're very good friends. We. Uh, had similar jobs at the time. Um, we're both adventure journalists, travel journalists, looking for fun things to do. We'd both done the Marathon to Sable In fact, he um, he he was the reason I did the Marathon to Sable He ran. Uh, he was working at the Telegraph at the time, and he put together a fantastic diary that went out over the course of a week, and it got um, it got a really big response. And I remember living with a flatmate at the time. We were reading this, and we were, right, we have to do that. So I was aware of Charlie through that. And he, in the meantime, had gone on and done five or six other really big ones, uh, including the Yukon. I'd subsequently done um, the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, uh, UTMB, wow. which is a, another sort of bucket list yeah. trail run, shall we say, and done had done probably four or five ultras, um, as well as assorted other races. But quite clearly, lurking in the in the background was. The, the Bob Graham round and it was something we were aware of and the more we looked into it the more hooked we became and right. it, in truth it didn't require a lot of convincing
0: from either of us I've not done ultras but all of those other ones that you've done before are they all with aid stations and way markers and things like that or do you have to navigate?
2: Very different um, it's horses for courses uh, the the mouth and Sable is a, a multi-stage one so you're, you're running for a, a certain time. I think the longest um, longest day there is a double marathon, so 50 a fifty miler. Right. Um, and then each night you're heading to a camp which has been set up for you. Right. Where you're then feeding yourself, trying to get some sleep, and you start again the next day. The Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc is tougher, I believe, for the for the fact that it's nonstop. So it's a, I believe it's a hundred and two mile circumnavigation of the Mont Blanc massive. Yeah. And, um the up and down, I think the aggregate climb is 8,800 meters, something like that. Forgive me if the figures are slightly out, but you do that in one hit. uh, And there are aid stations as you go, but you're chased all the way by cutoff times. And if you're not at a certain point at a certain time,
0: uh, it's you know your curtains so that's the sort of mental pressure there you've got the time pressure can you get lost on that or is that kind of uh, difficult
2: Marathon Sobble not uh, yeah. they, they use lasers and various things to ensure if it's not great publicity if, if yeah. a couple of people go missing um, the UTMB follows a fairly set path because that's actually a long distance trail yeah. that uh, people can hike over, uh, over a series of right. days um, so again you're not likely to get lost so the BGR the extra element was of course, suddenly you're, you're navigating as well.
0: Yeah, and it's just so murky and un, unmarked, you know, unmarked for anything. You know, there's just... You just think, well, is, is that a path across there or...? It, it's one of the really big,
2: challenging elements of, of the BGR as it relates to all of these other ones. Yeah. Because there's something about applying yourself to, to something or of this size, very, very tricky in so many ways, physically and mentally. But the idea that actually yeah. you could've got lost at some point and you might, the last hour, might actually be entirely futile. Yeah. When that starts to play with your your head, uh, you're in serious trouble. And of course you're
0: then slipping behind your time and the whole thing starts to snowball. Yeah so we've been our our little gang of us uh, Mark our team leader then there's me and Beanie and a couple of other guys Tim, Tano and Mike have been getting a weekend away from families for the last three years and going up to recce legs of uh, the Bob Graham uh, with limited success I think we, we did a, a one year where we did a leg one which took us about eight hours for a, a leg which should be just less than three hours I yeah. think yeah. just because the weather was so awful I've managed a leg three I've never done two or four and we did a, a leg five once and then this summer just gone, 2018 summer Tim and Tano we got them round so um, I was injured so I was the road support and Mark and Beanie each ran a leg with them and supported them and uh, and got them round so we sort of feel like we we know it can be done but there's just so much logistics what I really learnt even being the road support person is um, an enormous pressure to not screw it up for mm. it to the, Your job, uh, you, you brilliantly dug out the article that Charlie wrote about it for Runner's World, and you were navigation. I mean, that is the, the big panic, the big kind of pressure job, isn't it?
2: it? It's a lot of pressure, and if you, you know, if you haven't been brought up, if, you, if you're not versed in orienteering, mm. you've probably done a limited amount of navigation in your life, particularly these days, where we're all relying on, you know, our smartphones. Yeah. Um, so to suddenly have that pressure, and you're right, pressure's the, the word, and on top of everything else, you, you have to divvy up what people are doing. And on top of everything else, to have that is something in your corner?
0: Um, yeah, I, I did feel the pressure a little bit with that. Did you it. really go really immersive into your uh, different routes, des- descents off this mountain, and
2: uh, that that side you, of it? Do you know what I did? What a lot of people do, I think, which is I did my absolute best within the time constraints. Yeah. We both had young kids. In fact, the timing from that point of view was terrible. We just, you know, our wives had just given birth to, respectively, our, our first children, and um, you know, you don't have a lot of time. So between Work, all your family commitments to get out and then do the, the the sufficient number of hours to be fit and ready to go with BGI is one thing. To so then have all the other logistical stuff you need to work on uh, yeah. is another. And I think, like you, we had a, a, um, a situation where we would go up and we would do legs, and we convinced ourselves because we have done these legs separately we were ready yeah. and I, yeah, I don't want to prick your bubble with that at all but that was the big shock that of course the cumulative toil of doing one after the other after the other you just cannot prepare for short of having done the whole loop, what is yeah. it, 66 miles in total, Yeah. all of those peaks until you've done it in one you don't know what that is going to be
0: like. And it's easy to forget uh, as well. You know, in in the article, Charlie sort of describes you had a couple of sort of disastrous wet, recce weekends, but then you have a, a bright sunny day. You finish on a on a high because you do leg five in the sunshine. You, think, oh. yeah. you come away thinking, well, that actually maybe we'll be all right, but forgetting that the other eight hours you spent wandering around lost.
2: Uh, Absolutely, and the changeability of the weather is uh, another thing. You know, the UTMB is tough, but you're there in Chamonix. Uh, um, the the weather is fairly regular, mm. uh, as I recall it. You know, there's heat; you know, it's not really dropping below zero or anything. And suddenly, with this, it can, you know, we had the most appalling weather yeah. that struck us. Um, and that's no, you know, in no way do I wish to sort of mitigate against our success or failure. But that's just part and parcel of yeah. the event. That is a you have big... to factor in the worst possible condition.
0: Yeah, and you did have awful weather. It sounds like, which um, I mean, this year when when we. When our friends Tim and Tano got around it was a heat wave so there was a lot of carrying water debate and how, how to sure. keep hydrated but they never had a single problem with navigation because you could see everything for miles and you didn't have to worry about being soaking wet, being freezing cold because you know, which couldn't yeah, And ours
2: was the flip side of that um, and also the terrain is something that, that you need to mention in that as well when it's when it's rock solid and hard you yeah. have, you're travelling at a, a better pace, mm. your footing is is more sure. We had times where the visibility was literally you couldn't see your hand in front of your face and at the same time, you're slipping around in bogs.
0: Again, I'm not complaining, that's the that's the beauty of it. Yeah. How did you um, prepare and train? Because I'm guessing you live down in the south. Uh, did you get on many hills? Yeah, we're both
2: southerners. We did our absolute best, you know, we, as I, as I said, we both um, uh, had young kids at the time, so it wasn't like we could get away in the same way maybe five, ten years before, We'd, we could absolutely immerse ourselves yeah. in the preparation for something. So we went up and rather, like yourselves, we broke it into stages, we made sure we ticked off all those stages, we tried to do a couple of stages back-to-back in places, just spent a lot of time up in the lakes, which is no penance at all, it's it's such a beautiful environment to be in, Uh, and tried to familiarize ourselves with the the trails, and also the the sort of the history and the background of the event, we we met a number of people who had guided others around, who knew a great great deal, who had maybe done it three or four times themselves, Uh, and that was huge valuable but the local knowledge
0: yeah we met through Tim and Tano recceying. they met people who were also recceing who then became support runners and they were brilliant you know he's just sort of it seems to be quite a nice community buzz about that you carried your kit didn't you each of you you had support runners with you but you carried stuff which this this summer Tim and Tano didn't carry anything, you know, it was they were just sherpered around by yeah. by the yeah. other ones, and you went as two together, which Tim and Tano managed to do, but maybe the weather equaled things out. But that's a bit abnormal, isn't it, to carry your own kit and to go in a in a pair?
2: I believe so. I mean not all of it was um, planned out and followed right. in the exact way. It was, you know, at the end of the day we needed the certain number of support runners. We just had to make a strategy, and, yeah. and that proved to be it. Yeah. Um, you know, there were different ways to do it in the same way you can do it essentially clockwise or anti clockwise, you know, you can do it in the in the summer or the winter. It's a lot of it's down to you and how you approach
0: it. Yeah. Did you buy tons of kit and did you have enough of the right kit, or some of the wrong kit? Yeah, it's, it's funny this, isn't it? You you look back at the history of the
2: race, and um, Bob Graham ran around eating boiled eggs. And <laughs> yeah, you know, these days we've got, possibly we overthought it. Mm. But certainly on the nutrition side, I was navigation with a capital N, Charlie was nutrition. Um, through his job as a specialist sports and, and fitness journalist, he he had contacts with pretty much everyone he knew. As much as anyone could about sports nutrition Uh, so we were certainly prepared in that respect but it's always a combination of you don't want to just be going around on on the gels and you know running on fumes essentially you need the the heavy duty carbs so um, both of our wives were up there in the sport team and were were cooking bits and pieces and preparing different things that had the optimum combination of power to weight ratio Um, so we yeah there there was I would say there were very few stones left untouched. In that respect.
0: So when it when it went wrong, I guess did you feel quite early on the, the weather's just too awful? We're never going to get round.
2: Yeah, good question. We. We thought as as we progressed, I mean, you obviously know at what point you need to be completing certain segments. Yeah. I remember the first segment was bloody hard and we got to the end of that and we felt like we'd given it a lot and we were sort of three minutes up on the time that right. we planned for. So then of course you're trying to refuel, uh, do everything you need to do, yeah. mentally prepare yourself for the second one. Mm. The weather's getting worse and worse and worse. No one articulated it at that moment, but already we were thinking, this really is quite something uh, as a challenge. Um, And then as the second leg progressed, we we went clockwise. That was through the middle of the night, and that was when the visibility high up the you know, Helvellyn and, and around there really was appalling, and that's when a couple of times we started to stray off course as well. Right. Um, we spoke about that earlier. The yeah. idea of, of burning a few minutes, but also the morale, the way the morale can sink. Yeah. Um, and so we tried to get ourselves back on track from there. But by the end of the second leg, uh, coming down into sort of me and around there, we were already beginning to think. I think again, still not speaking about it, but this is. This is beginning to slip away
0: yeah did you not finish leg three then did you finish part way through leg three
2: we finished we finished leg three right. but uh i think there was a conversation during that that bit and charlie's well i mean to give you an, uh, an indication of just how poor in the weather was i mean charlie had um hypothermia mm. you know and this was in was it june yeah um he was really struggling right. and and we we had to make some fairly tough calls about that he wanted to continue we both did yeah. to be fair I was struggling hugely you know I, I, I wasn't struggling in that way but when it was like I think the best decision here the most responsible thing to do is to pull the plug Yeah. Uh, and, and, and head back down um, I
0: certainly wasn't in a position to start complaining no did you want to do it again did it kill the lakes and that, that bit of the lakes for you for a while um, were you itching to have another go at it I think all of
2: those elements. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't think it could possibly mar what is such a spectacular part of the world. You know, I could go back tomorrow, and I'd love walking around Helvellyn and peaks that probably the last time I was there, I was in bits. Yeah, I wasn't broken in the way that maybe the younger me would have been. Right, uh, I felt like we'd given it the best possible shot at that period in our lives. And you know, there's all sorts of factors. Without kids, without commitments, such work commitments, if we'd committed more time to it, possibly better weather, obviously. Possibly we could have done it. We like like to think, um, but possibly not. Yeah. Um, And I don't think it's, I think it's so, so hard, the Bob Graham, that even if we had another pop at it with all of those factors ticked off, I don't think there was any guarantees at all that, that we would have done it. No. So I think it was, we both just felt we were delighted to have had a go at it. And certainly, you know, when we warmed up, we were in the pub, three, three pints deep, it, it felt like a hell of an adventure rather than a massive failure.
0: Yeah, I find if I'm doing something for the radio, or making a podcast like this as well, then I, I, enjoy, I enjoy the story. Anyway, I mean, so the article is a great story of, of an unsuccessful round, but still, like you say, it's a great adventure story in its own right. I mean, maybe that helps a little bit as well. Where you, you kind of the journalist in you thinks, well, it was a good a good tale to tell. A afterwards. good tale, certainly. And Charlie told it exceptionally well. Yeah. So afterwards, have you done lots more events? Are you, are you kind of you know are you still ultra mad? I mean, the world seems to go ultra mad and um, uh, you know do you think we've reached peak ultra uh, and are you part of it still yeah it's a difficult one for me um
2: uh, charlie actually died uh, a couple of years ago and oh, um and that in a way because we've done this together i wouldn't want to go back and try and do that again no. but as for other events i think we talk about different stages in our in our lives I feel like I've ticked off a number of big ones there. Um, Probably I I will enter other events, uh, and I'm sure in sort of eight years time, as I push towards 50, um, you know, that's a big time where people start to say, right, what can we do? And I'd love to do sort of Ironlands and things like that. If there's an, an ultra that comes up that really tickles me, I can see myself um, going in for that. But yeah, as you say, it's such a huge thing now. And, and yeah. it's great. You've got, you've got this sort of hyperinflation of these things where it started as 5Ks, it's gone up to 10, then halves. Now your, your grandmother's done a marathon. So where'd you go? Well, you go to ultras. And then from there, where'd you go? Well, you go specialist maybe stair running or uh, you know combining with swims and swim run there's so much to do but the point is so many people are doing it yeah uh, and we're no longer sort of just golfing our way into middle age
0: where where do you think you know you're sort of embedded in this adventure world you look at all these events professionally as well where the future trends what do you think we'll be doing over the next couple of years
2: i can only see it growing right really and i can see races coming on stream that offer a a point of difference that seems to be the main thing but I think it's all about where the races are held you know I can remember doing the Empire State Building run up a few years ago fantastic finish I mean it's probably the most spectacular finish line in, in the world of running Yeah. but the course is a dusty stairwell you're doing something like this like the Bob Graham or you're doing something like the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc or the Marathon de Sable whether you like it or not you're absorbing incredible environments around the world so I think as long as it they offer that type of point of difference um, then I think people will continue to be signing up in big big numbers and I don't know
0: it may have been that Charlie that, that de- dealt with it but um, the Bob Graham uh, people you know club or what have you are a little bit reticent to have any media coverage that they, they don't do interviews and things like that so I suppose that article Richard Asquith's book Feet in the Clouds uh, from uh, three or four years ago uh, and, and maybe this podcast hopefully if if lots of people listen to it you know that accelerates the publicity of it um but i'm not sure it's necessarily going to make more and more people do that i mean some more people will do it but mm. it's, it's still quite inaccessible isn't it because it's just such a ball lake to have a go at
2: <laughs> it is it is and i think in a way that's the beauty of it i was at the time quite quite frustrated that they were so reticent you know from a journalist point of view yeah. you want to get people uh, you want to get them Commenting about about these things, but actually, it's great in a way that they have that sort of. <laughs> There's absolutely no effort to court publicity for this. Mm. Uh, and if anything, I think they would rather it stayed underground. We certainly felt the Southerners coming up there to have a go. Um, we were welcomed wherever we went, but you can see why, I mean, it's their race, it's not our race. Mm. And for us to have a pop at it, I think is great, but I can understand their frustration if more and more people are doing it. I was lucky enough to interview Kilian Jornay just after his Everest attempt, and because I'd done the Bob Graham or attempted it and actually failed. We had a quick chat about that, and of course, I had heard that it was on his, you know, in his sights. And yeah. um, I think what he did with that a couple of months back, breaking the record, that will obviously put that put the, the event on people's radar, yeah, uh, even more. Yeah, um, I you know, I don't know if that's something they're welcomed or or not, but yeah, I mean, he's an extraordinary athlete, and I think it needed an extraordinary stra- extraordinary athlete to uh, to break that record. Yeah. And in a way I think what will stop the Bob Graham from becoming another one of these sort of mass produced mass marketed it's almost unmarketable I would say as an event because there's there's so much nuance to it there's so much subtlety there's so many variations yeah uh, you can't see it being neatly bagged up and someone's you know heading off to the far east or to the american market and saying come on then you know, yeah. can we get 20,000 people doing this every year? It's yeah. just not that time thing. It's a highly individual thing. It's you against the fells uh, and, and in your own
0: time. Thanks ever so much for your time. Uh, it was great Pleasure. To Pleasure. get a bit of insight and um, uh, I'll let you know how we get on. Great, good luck with it. Thank you. As you could probably tell when Duncan told me that Charlie Norton had passed away in that interview, I had no idea. So I'm really grateful and honoured that Duncan was happy to do the interview with me. Uh, He was already having to chat about his own unsuccessful attempt, which isn't necessarily easy, but which he did, as you heard, with great honesty and humour. But then, what I didn't know, I was inadvertently asking him to also reminisce about what must now be very bittersweet collections of memories of time spent with his late friend. So thank you, Duncan, and my thoughts and condolences to you and to all of Charlie's friends and family. Now, I wanted to interview Duncan because he did fail at the Bob Graham and... Even with all the hyperinflation of rounds, people doing double rounds, the spine race, epic long, long adventures, the Bob Graham is still really difficult. It's in the Lake District. The terrain is always tricky. It can be dangerous. The weather is fickle and your fitness, your navigation, your need for the right nutrition, to pull together ample support, the correct clothing. There's a lot of stuff that needs to go into a Bob Graham, and I really wanted to prepare myself for all the possible outcomes, and not just assume, because Tim and Tano had done it the year before, that we would also be able to do it. So, to start with, let's control the controllables and get on with our training.
1: Wow, it is a sun-drenched afternoon, Monday the 1st of April, 18, two days to go until, our uh, uh, Bob Graham attempt. I'm looking, as you can hear, I'm not in the quiet tranquility of the lakes. That's the M27. Uh, roaring in the background, rush hour uh, on a Monday, and I have stopped uh, by Portsdown Hill, just above Portsmouth, which is the uh, nearest bit of hill with a bit of off road track so that I can halfway through my cycle home go for a run, my first meaningful run of my Bob Graham preparation, really.
0: Our Bob Graham attempt is scheduled for June 21st, 2019, while well, the B&B is booked anyway. It will definitely feature Mark as lead contender, supported by his brother Mike, a leg two specialist. Tim and Tano, the conquering heroes from last summer will return to support, Beanie will do two legs this time round, and a few others, Gabor, Chris, and hopefully, definitely, maybe, me, attempting too, alongside Mark. So where are we now then, let's do a little pat down, testicles, spectacles, wallet and watch. Let's have an audit of our current situation.
1: Morning Bob, it's Tim, uh, it's uh, Sunday morning about half seven and I'm doing my best to keep fit with my little boy in tow uh, out running with the uh, the running buggy down Bridgewater Canal, it's, uh, it's flat as a pancake but uh, it'll uh, hopefully keep a few miles in the in the legs. Morning Bob, uh, 12 weeks to go apparently till the bob going round
2: I'm um, feeling pretty intimidated by that as I'm uh, just heading back from having done a, a Saturday morning hill session uh, in Ivinghoe in the North Downs uh, where yeah, I found it very hard work, very tight calf, um, but it was a lovely morning, sort of rolling mist and lambs and swooping kites overhead and uh, deer and things like that and just me, me spoiling the uh, environs in some uh, crappy light crew with my uh, hairy legs sticking through them my um, tights so that was delightful uh, i even managed to fall over at one point and uh, have the concerned looks of two uh, two deer who caused me to fall over
1: by startling me um, and uh, yeah they didn't move off until they realized i was all right which is quite touching actually i am on mile 19 a lovely there in the lakes I'll start skyline, Buttermere skyline. 9,000 feet of up and down and I'm now making the trudge.
0: Over the next couple of weeks, it's going to be a Ricky, Nicky, Ricky triple bill of mini episodes.
1: Overall, it was uh, an incredibly
0: eye-opening experience, really beautiful at most of the time. I catch-up on Skype with US runner philosopher Ricky Gates after his every single street run around San Francisco. I think. I give Nikki Spinks a call to hear about her trip to Tennessee as a virgin in the Barclay Marathons.
2: And the veterans don't mind. It was sort of so strange for me to be following somebody.
0: And I get up at dawn on a Sunday morning to meet Cumbrian firefighter and elite mountain runner, the brilliantly named Ricky Lightfoot, at the base of Grisdale Pike to chat before he leapt off for his pre-work hill session. You, you know, if you run that first descent off oh, blank Catherine, you get to the bottom, you think, bloody hell, my legs are feeling that, like, it's not a good sign. No. no.